Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shaman Sister Sessions, episode 123. I'm Michelle Hawk, and I'm here with my Shaman Sister, Catherine Bird. And uh, if this, I'll say this episode in particular, if you know someone who needs this, we're talking about how to recover from practitioner abuse. So if you yourself have been in the unfortunate position of being at, um, you know, within this harmful spectrum of care in uh, in terms of relating to a spiritual practitioner or a member of a cult, or you know someone who has, please like, follow, subscribe, share this episode with people who you think might need to hear this. We want this to be available to you. Um, I will also say we recorded an episode uh, number 121, so recently, and then we also have a couple of other relevant episodes about this topic of narcissism, manipulation, abuse, etc., within the spiritual community. And um, yeah, and that's why we're recording this one. Unfortunately, is because we've had a, I would say, a larger influx of people reaching out to us, to both Catherine and myself, after recording uh, that recent episode, and we wanted to talk about it with you in terms of what are we seeing uh, as people are moving through the healing process of recovering from practitioner abuse and what do we want to offer you for questions that you can ask and processes that you can give to yourself or seek out and uh, you know how to interview practitioners moving forward or you know possible questions or things to consider to determine like well you know what is what makes an ethical practitioner and how do you know? And then also best practices for you as you're recovering on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and your connection with your practice um, coming to a place of wholeness within that because you know no practitioner should ever take that away from you. So here we are for another kind of heavy episode, but hey, Kat, nice Hi. to see you. How <laughs> you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I, I also want to point out, I we did an episode, I think it was called How to Hire a Shaman or something like that, which was a, a while back. It might have been a year or more ago. But how to, how to choose a mentor or teacher yeah. or shaman or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So there is that one, which also is, really goes into a lot of things around interviewing someone that you're going to work with and considerations. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are again for another very fun episode about about this horrible topic, you know, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, and I will say, you know, Catherine and I over the years have like between us, I, we easily know at least a dozen, if not a couple dozen people who have been in cults, really, and easily and um, have been in practitioner abuse situations and have worked with people as clients and then have supported people just as you know on a personal level and so we do have unfortunately kind of like a front row seat to a lot of people coming out of this type of harmful situation so uh you know so we've had perspective and experience about this and you know it's just you know speaking personally like it's so it makes me so angry when people come not that and not, not that I'm angry that they're coming to me but it makes me really angry that this is even a thing that we have to address. But, you know, unfortunately, as I, I mentioned in a previous episode, like shitty people exist within this community too. And, you know, if this information can help prevent people from falling into abusive or harmful practitioner relationships, then we, you know, we're going to record as many episodes as, as it takes for people to get the information they need. So here we are. 
Yeah. And I, I think it's important to uh, voice that, of course, this is on a pretty wide spectrum, just as a lot of personality disorders, such as narcissism and abuse happens on a wide spectrum. Uh, what we're talking about here happens on a wide spectrum. And uh, where, like Michelle is saying, people who are in sometimes well-known and very abusive cults and are every aspect of your life is being controlled by a community and a, especially a specific person. Uh, and then through a, a pretty wide range of what can occur, your personal involvement in, in the abuse or, or in an experience and uh, down to sometimes just having a negative experience in one session with someone. And sometimes the, those experiences aren't, aren't coming from this is an abusive person who's seeking out to abuse me, but there are many layers of, as people are seeking healing, the past trauma and influences, uh, things that you've experienced, um, your uh, interactions with someone can trigger something from your past as well, that it awakens something that uh, can be very hard to manage, that maybe this person isn't capable of being with or addressing. It's not within their scope of practice. They don't understand where you're coming from. There's a communication breakdown sometimes uh, between a practitioner and a client. And so sometimes things that are, aren't intentionally abusive can be experienced as abuse for the person that is going through the experience uh, and it's also a very tricky situation for the practitioner at times because it's hard to know what to do if someone has a complaint or has vocalized something or said something to someone else or has accused you of something. Uh, so it's hard to know um, what that what that process is of how to show up for somebody. So sometimes you might really want someone to show up for you in a particular way to be held accountable, to take responsibility. And that person can't for many reasons, maybe because they are an abusive person who's trying to uh, manipulate people or they're afraid of liability charges. They're afraid of if they admit that maybe they could have done something differently, they could have had better informed consent from you on something happening. They could have gotten your signature on something and really spelled something out differently. They could have communicated in a different way, but if they accept responsibility for what they've, uh, what you're saying that they've done, then um, they're afraid of being sued. They're afraid of being liable. And so you might be seeking something from someone and experience that as a very abusive situation because maybe they're not calling you back or they're not showing up or they're not re responding or they're not saying I'm sorry. And they're in their own experience. So uh, just because this has been coming up too, practitioners have been asking me, what do I do if somebody says that I you know, brought them into a situation and their trauma came up and they weren't supported enough? So that also happens where it's a very wide range from intentional abuse and manipulation to uh, 
uh, experiences of being outside of scope of, scope of practice, not not having good uh, boundaries, communication, and consent, uh, not having experience, not having the mentorship to support them through being the kind of practitioner that they are. So there's a lot of pieces here where you are experiencing what you're experiencing, and that is valid and important for you to uh, be able to get support around that and to understand there's there's a wide spectrum here that we're we're trying to address within all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Kat. And it's like, you know, speaking to the um, you know, the end where it's like people who are, you know, perhaps totally unintentionally causing harm, either through a lack of communication or like perhaps unmet expectations or whatever that might be, or, you know, a client's trauma getting triggered. Like that's where it also gets particularly tricky because, um, and I personally have been on both sides of that equation, like at that end of the spectrum where I have been working with a practitioner who I genuinely believe is a really good person who did not mean to create a very harmful situation, but ended up creating a harmful situation for me and having to come to my own peace with that. And then also being in, in the reverse for a client where, you know, where that particular person had, you know, a friend in hospice and was going through a divorce and like a whole list of challenges. And then I happened to not be available at one time or not communicate something clearly, and then ended up, um, you know, unintentionally contributing to it, what that person perceived as harm. Right. And so again, it's, it's really tricky. And, you know, with that, I think, <clears throat> Um, the best advice that I can offer on that end of the spectrum is like having a lot of awareness and having a lot of discernment and, you know, knowing sometimes, sometimes you're going to have your needs met and feel heard and sometimes you're not. And, um, you know, I, I did my best in that situation. I was actually inspired by me having a mentor kind of drop the ball on me where I was like, okay, how can I do that differently for my client? And how can I be in integrity? And I wrote a letter and I took responsibility for the things that I felt were my responsibility. And I, um, you know, was very compassionate in the, for the things that I felt were not my responsibility, but still witnessing and in, in compassion. So I think I am really proud of how I handled that learning experience. And it has definitely informed moving forward, but it's also, um, sometimes you are going to receive the resolution externally and sometimes you're not. And I think the same goes for some of these more serious as we're getting into the actual harm caused, like, or no, I want to say that differently, the perhaps intentional or more manipulative, greater degrees of harm caused through either psychological manipulation, spiritual manipulation, financial, financial abuse, sexual miscon misconduct, like all of these other deeper ends of the spectrum of harm. Sometimes it will be possible to seek justice and to seek restorative, you know, legal support and make sure that these people are held accountable for their actions. And sometimes it's not going to be. And sometimes, you know, I've had people come to me saying this really fucked up thing happened with this practitioner. And I want to make sure it, like they go to prison for that. And they, because I know they've done it to other people and I want it to not happen to other people, but also I'm afraid for my safety because if they find out, then I, I could be like, my life could be in danger. And so, you know, these are all part of, you know, part of this really complicated 
yucky web of of these you know these really harmful situations and you know i've i've been in the position and i know kat has been in the position as well of like trying to support people with okay well you know what is your healing asking and is this justice like is seeking justice part of your healing is that part of your mission part of your service and to what extent is that helpful for you and what extent is that placing you more in greater harm's way right and so you know looking at I don't know that I feel like I said a lot of words without really saying a lot there, but it's, it's very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very tricky. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of, I think the piece that you're talking about of sometimes you're going to be heard and have a healing experience with the practitioner. But uh, from what I've heard uh, from people, I would not count on it. I would not count on someone taking responsibility and feeling like they're being held accountable because I've just seen so many people try really hard to uh, get a practitioner held accountable and it, and it often doesn't happen. And especially like this whole thing about the gray area, if someone attacked you in, um, in a, in a public place <laughs> and you were uh, harmed, you would go to the police and it would, there would sort of be this container for it. But oftentimes the long-term emotional, mental, spiritual, energetic manipulation that's going on puts you in a situation where you are often seen as part of a community. You are even seen as friends. You might even be projected as a lover of someone when it's so deeply manipulative that it's not really consensual. So it might be in a healing session that someone does actually enact harm on you, but there's this weird space of, oh, well, I came there and I consented. And maybe even I did consent in that moment, but I was in this freeze mode. I was in fawn mode uh, as the, my nervous system is responding to the experience and I'm not able to say no, or I am consenting in a way where I've been uh, not empowered in the experience. And that is really hard to explain to people. It's hard for people to understand. And it's hard for uh, to achieve accountability on that because things like legal uh, surfaces are like, well, this in this category is one thing and this in this category is something else. And we don't really have a good uh, ability to go after that. Mm -hmm. Because maybe it's, you didn't go to the police because it you were in shock and it just was not something that you were seeking. And it's one of the things that I think, you know, people who, what I have seen universally of, you know, almost every single person who has come to me seeking support after being in, you know, a practitioner abuse situation is almost exactly universally like what Kat just said, where on one hand, I said yes to that. On one hand, I was in my agency. On one hand, I was acting from a place of sovereignty and I did have, I did consent, but 
I also was at that point making decisions where I, you know, I was hearing the words come out of my mouth, but I was feeling a no in my body or at the time I genuinely believed yes. But then I look at all of the decisions I was making that were so unhealthy. And so who was that person who was making these decisions? Or I believed that I was saying yes to this. And then this other thing happened and I didn't know how to say no. And so there universally and I think part of what what makes this so tricky like Kat said of like it's not like there's a very clear black and white literal like you can point at any one thing and say that was like very clearly fits within this nice box of harm like that that doesn't happen in these situations because again like like we discussed in the a couple of episodes ago they're um you know they're working with your energy body right so like you're exposing yourself and you're making yourself vulnerable on a very etheric level there's also emotional connection and like grooming that goes into like you know like this is this doesn't usually happen in a first session with somebody this is after you've been working with someone for a while right so there's a foundation set where they're having you say yes to things more and more and more so you get used to saying yes to them and then eventually you look in and like oh my gosh I've been studying with this person for two years and now I I don't know who I am anymore because I, you know, I gave up everything and now I don't have any friends anymore and I don't trust myself and I don't even want to talk to my spirit guides because I don't even know if that's real. I, and, you know, this is another piece that, that I want to get into is like what happens as people are trying to recover in their relationship with their spiritual practice. And, and I've heard this again universally from every person I have talked with in this situation. And you know, and, and right now I'm like sitting up in my chair and I'm all hot and my heart's beating really fast. And I'm like sweating. So whoo, deep breaths. <laughs> I feel very passionately about this. Um, this, you know, if you find yourself in this situation, there's, there's a reason it feels so crazy making and it's because it is subtle. It's because like Kat said, there's a lot of pieces going on that maybe you said yes to, but it wasn't really coming from a place of true, informed, grounded, embodied consent. And you may or may not be able to actually communicate that to anyone who works in a legal profession because they need black and white. They, they look for evidence. So, you know, Kat and I are here as experts in the field of gray area, honestly, and in the field of nuance and subtle perception. And we're telling you there's a reason it feels so crazy making and complicated because it is all of these different levels simultaneously and because it is not black and white and that's okay and it's it's okay that it feels so crazy and you're not crazy it is actually very muddy and complicated most of the time yeah and <laughs> I'm okay. I promise. I'm just very, very activated. It's fine. It's all good. Well, I think one of the pieces is, um, you know, in healing work or in, in my mentorship work and training people, one of the values that, that I know both of us share is on helping people to find claim, activate their personal sovereignty and power and inner knowing, inner trust, and ability to 
interact with the, with the world from that perspective of, oh, I trust, I trust myself. And one of the things that this does when we're involved in, in this kind of a situation is that it breaks that inner trust and it breaks those, uh, that ability to interact with the world from that trusting place. So then you're left in a place where now you have to maybe continue to heal or start all over healing on things that you were working on before, but now you have a new wound that is often related to trust and safety. And like Michelle said, trusting and safety around your spiritual practice and your guides and so on, but often in association with trusting yourself to be able to say yes to another healing practitioner or a community or a circle or just going to a workshop or uh, being involved in anyone's lineage or any of these things. Now there is this extra added barrier that you're experiencing where maybe you're having a trauma response on a deep level to whenever you're starting to interact with someone who's in this in this field. And you'll see this if you uh, sometimes uh, on Facebook or something like that, a lot of times um, when people are asking about like, oh, what is it? what is a healer or what if someone told you they were a healer and when and a lot and i'll read the comments and a lot of times people are like oh they're bullshit they're they're lying they're fake they're you know all of these things well why is that well there is a huge societal cultural uh disbelief in our profession in these practices one, because we've inherited it from our our cultures, from religious persecution and from uh, beliefs, but also because people have experienced things that they've seen, well, this person seemed like they were showing up in this one way, and then my experience was not that. So now I don't know who to trust or how to trust. And I think that this is one of the big pieces because I know, Michelle, I, I want you to share about, you know, how you see people show up when they've had this experience. And then they're like, I really want training. I really want to study. I really want to come to ceremony. I really want to do all these things. And you see that like really deep inner turmoil and conflict arising. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit because like I said, I've, I've had an influx of people recently since that last podcast episode and the, the experience of talking with these people has a lot of things in common and to like, to some extent, like they're saying exactly the same thing, right. Where it's, and, and I feel in this, and I do communicate this with them that like, I, I treat these consultations and these conversations with even more care than I would with anyone else because of this wounding, right? And so because I'm aware that even by them talking with me, they're, that has the potential to be really scary and really triggering, right? Because these people who have reached out to me, none of them have ever spoken with me before. They either found me through the podcast episode or they were referred to someone and then watched the podcast episode. So they, they don't know me at all. And uh, and what I'm hearing again, the push pull of, I, 
I got into this position because I feel, you know, I had a spiritual awakening and I feel really connected with, with spirit and I want to feel connected with my, with spirit. But then through this position, now I'm distrusting and questioning everything about even my spiritual practice, where now I feel like I'm having to go back to zero of like, you know, rebuilding my relationship with my guides and rebuilding my relationship with my body. And I want help with that. And I know it would be really great to have help with that because I don't know what I don't know, but also, and I'm massively paraphrasing here, but also like, I don't trust anyone right now who is charging money to be a spiritual teacher. And so like, I want to poke around and ask you some questions and feel out the vibe, but also part of my healing. And I've heard this one from almost every single person, part of my healing is I need to not have a teacher for the moment so I can regain a little bit of sovereignty and connection in my direct vertical relationship with spirit. And, and pretty much every single person I talked with, um, none of them actually came in to work with me right away, which is totally fine. And I, you know, again, was very clear on, here are the options. You are welcome to not hire me. I kept telling this to people is like, I'm not asking you to pay me money unless you really want to. And we're going to have like a very slow and spacious intake process for you. And you can opt out at any time. And everyone I talked with essentially said the same thing of, you know, part of my healing is that I need to just be, be alone in my spiritual practice for a while. And I need to like connect with my guides and I need to listen and I need to pray and I need to like regulate my nervous system in prayer because right now I don't even want to do my practice. So I just need to like be really gentle with myself and, and get back to like praying and out, like be outside and open myself up a little bit just by myself. And then, you know, they'll, I don't know if they'll hire me or not. <laughs> they may. Um, but then, you know, kind of circle back around when it is time to introduce a teacher again. And, and it's been really interesting to talk with people in this place because I feel it feels like they're ready to jump off the phone with me at any second. And I think in some cases more so than others, but, you know, be, being so aware of like, you were just in a position where somebody harmed you tremendously and someone that you trusted, someone that you cared about, you know, again, on this spectrum of harm, I've talked with everybody who have, who have been all over the spectrum from, you know, really severe financial and sexual misconduct with, you know, to like, they, um, you know, like psychological manipulation and like, I abandoned my friends and my community and now I don't trust myself to make decisions, right? Like all over this spectrum of people where they're then coming to me as the, the first person, usually the first or maybe the second person that they're talking to in a practitioner role after removing themselves from this harmful situation. So I'm, I'm happy to, to do that for people. And I, I, strive to be a safe place for people to have a point of contact of like, okay, this is a safe person for me to talk to and they don't have to hire me. That's fine. But, you know, I really, really want for like, I want this, like my, my deepest desire for these people is that they get to come home to themselves and to their spiritual practice. And a lot of them feel that like that push pull of like, oh, I don't want to do my practice anymore because this was really harmful. But also like, I know that it's not about 
my relationship with spirit. It's about like that situation and this push pull desire of like, they want to do it, but they're scared or they're still traumatized. And, and I see that and it, it, I feel so much compassion for these people because I get how terrifying that can be. (sighs) Yeah. Did that answer your question a little bit? Yeah, I think so. And I think this, this awareness of separating your spiritual practice and your healing from the experience can be really challenging, but is also very necessary part in the healing process to look at how you're going to do that and just making those small steps and holding yourself with a lot of gentleness and kindness uh, through that process Mm -hmm. uh, is really, really important. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about like, um, like the etheric level of how to recover as well. Cause that's something that we've both been supporting people in is like, did I, you know, by working with this person and their, you know, their energy or their lineage or their mystery school or whatever, did I fuck myself up? Do I have entity attachments? Did I like mess with my, my soul codes and my programming? Like I've heard that also from a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Like that is, that is for real. And it can, so it can be real. That really does happen. You create cords and attachments and you are connected to people and you can get implants from people and, um, and there are spiritual contracts involved and there are spirit entities involved. And so that can be really real stuff. And oftentimes we also are making more of it in our mind than it is and feeding it more than like the fear and projection and anxiety, like all of those energies are actually keeping those attachments more secure. So that is also a very tricky place to be because you want to be aware of needing to clear, clean, cord cut, all of these things, create uh, boundaries but also not to feed the fear and to be freaked out by the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that can be totally. a really challenging place to live. Totally. And I mean, for that, maybe people want to check out the, like, um, we did episodes on like, you probably don't have an entity and then what to do if you do have an entity or, or hang around. What did we call those? Yeah. I think that's what they were called. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So Um, something about entities. So, yeah. So we, we have two episodes, one of which is like, you probably don't have entities and attachments, but then if you do, like, here's what to do. And, um, the, yeah, it's like, and what I tell people with this is, you know, on, on one hand, it's like, okay, well, until I get in there and kind of like, you know, poke around and, and look very closely at their energetic mapping, it's like impossible for me to say, but universally based on what I know about, um, about like our energetic blueprinting and the architecture of what it means to be initiated into, because a lot of people have had initiatory experiences with these practitioners where either they like, are initiated into a lineage or a mystery school or like that that person's like personal etheric temple or whatever it is right like there's some aspect of blueprinting that happens usually 
um, or not, at least in the case of the people that I was talking with, I, I'm not saying this as a universal thing, right? But there's some aspect of energetic, I'm, you know, I as a practitioner, I'm going to go in and do some initiation on you and we're going to invoke these guides. And these are the, the spirits that are the, um, you know, the protectors and the, the deities and the spirits of this particular lineage, right? So you're ha you're making contracts, right? And then after the fact, like Kat said, there's this like, oh God, what did I do? And you know, the fear and the projection can make it worse. And it's usually not as bad as people think it is in what I have seen. And it is, um, you know, as, as we know from all of our work with entities and attachments and agreements, et cetera, is like with, with the right energy work, whether it's psychic surgery and soul retrieval or, you know, support from a teacher and or healer, if you should choose to do that, or you could do it by yourself, right? It is usually ends up being not that big of a deal and you can go in and work it out. And it might require, depending on the level of like how long you've been having this entity, how much you've been feeding it, how deeply entrenched in this lineage you are, like how, how much it's got its hooks in you, it might take a little more effort or it might take a few sessions or it might take like some really deep medicine work, like, you know, a deep purgative exorcism experience. It might, but it's, I, I haven't, personally encountered anything that I would consider like, oh yeah, you're stuck with that forever. Like I've never, I would ever never seen say that. that to anyone, no matter what, never. <laughs> yeah. like you can definitely, you know, I would never say that to anyone, no matter what that, right. you know, there, there is work to be done. Yeah. Um, and I've and never seen that. Like I've never seen anything that honestly, that like worried me as, as a long-term concern is like, that's workable. You right. Know. But you do often need to do some kind of work. Like, I will just say you need some kind of clearing work when you're coming out of the situation and depending on the power of the practitioner and where they are on that spectrum, like, yeah. are they just sloppy or are they malicious? And you're talking the, the practitioner who was the abuser. Yeah. So it's like, you know, are, is this person, you know, just they're, they're a little bit messy and maybe didn't communicate or, mm -hmm. you know, are they connected to some things that are a little bit more troublesome and what is their focus? Um, you know, I have seen people who have left relationships with really powerful shamanic people who uh, are capable of, of, I don't want to say anything scary. So are capable of, of continuing to project their energy towards you. We could just say that. <laughs> um, and yeah. that they might choose to do that. And also depending on, um, how close you are to sometimes just like physical distance will make a big difference and like how big someone's energy is, how much you're feeling it and noticing it around you. Um, I mean, so I think, I think as far as like saying things, something scary, I think we should, because it would actually probably like demystify it a little bit. Like, you know, some of the things that we have seen people do. Right. So like, um, and, and I'm saying this like with the, the intent that, that it is demystifying, right? Because if you're saying project energy at someone, then that could mean like all sorts of different things, right? Should we go there? 
It does mean all sorts of different things. It does. Right. And, and yeah, but it, you know, like sometimes people, you might like see them in dreams, right? Like they're showing up in your dreams. Um, you might have some like tingling or physical sensation. You might, you know, like there are ways that they can, poke at your energy body. And this is also depending on like their power. And also it takes a lot of energy to do that. Like they have to be yes. really committed to fucking They you have up. to want to mess with you. And yeah. for the most part, when you leave a situation, that person is on to the next person and they're busy living their lives. They don't have time to be messing with you. Like it just is too much attention and energy. Yeah. And it's like, they if they're messing with you, they're really committed to it. And so more often, if you're feeling like, oh, this person's showing up in my dreams or I'm feeling this weird sensation or this weird energy, it may or may not be actually them sending you or projecting their energy at you. It can be residual from the implants or the blueprinting on your consciousness and your energy body from them. So it might not be anything new. It might be like things coming to the surface and then also your own consciousness trying to shed and shake and release and having a trauma and trigger response. So I would say more often it's that rather than someone trying to mess with you. Right. And so to see it as this, oh, this is the purgative, right? This is me purifying myself. And when it arises to have that awareness and intention in your own mind that I am purifying this, I do not have space for this. I am more powerful than this and taking up your own space, taking up your own power within your energy field uh, stating your sovereignty, being in your power, taking up a power posture in your life, like on a regular basis, daily doing your clearing practices and, um, stepping into a new level of power because always what I see with these experiences is that there is a very potent opportunity for you to become more empowered, more sovereign, more capable in your abilities and to see this as another space of initiation for you instead of being the victim of this person or this experience, but to transform that through a, through the process that you're going through. It's not going to be an immediate transformation, but to really see how you are stepping into your power through this process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And really like rewriting that story in other areas of your life too. Cause let's remember that the same is true of people who end up in abusive relationships is that often like romantic relationships, often this is not a brand new thing for them. Either they've had, you know, developmental trauma abusive parents or like, you know, some, some history of this pattern showing up. And this is one more way that that shows up. So also keep that in mind of like, just, you know, be really honest with yourself and, and also really gentle with yourself of looking at how is this energy something like, how am I having an invitation to rewrite this? Not only in this area and my relationship with spirit and claiming this, the power and the sovereignty and the agency and, and really taking my seat of power in my, my spiritual practice and also rewriting this for myself in other areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause that's really where it's going to anchor in everywhere. And yeah. it's okay. If you freak out a little bit, I think when we're, as you know, when we're, when we're in the realms of spirit and energy, like sometimes get overwhelmed. I have been there. I've been there. I know I've called Michelle and been there. I, um, 
uh, was recommended to do a session with uh, these two practitioners. And I, so I paid for the session. I consented to the session. I didn't really know anything about them, but they were recommended by somebody I had known for quite a while and was, they were spoken so highly of. And throughout the course of this session, like towards the end of the session, I realized these are not people I want messing in my, in, in my energy field. These are not people that I want implanting their thoughts, beliefs, and ideals into me. Like some of the things that they were saying at the end of the session, I was not in agreement with, and I did not want that encoded into me. And so I totally was a little like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I had them mucking around in my energy bodies. And I know that I definitely reached out to Michelle and was like, am I okay? Did I, <laughs> what did I do? Am I okay? Am I, did I mess myself up and probably had a fitful night's sleep of worrying about it? And uh, of course, when you have this experience, you have to come back to, all right, well, I I could have chosen to do things differently. I will choose differently in, in the future. And I am going to fortify myself, nurture myself, take care of myself on every level and unpack what I am not in agreement with and instill and install my own agreements. And mm -hmm. so when you look at this idea of, we've said the word implants a few times and people can get really freaked out about this word implants. A lot of people, a lot of practitioners will use this word implants a lot. And I think it's a very scary word, but I think we need to acknowledge it because it is out there. So often people are saying, oh, well, you've got an implant and this person an implant and that whatever. And um, so if you believe that other people can implant things in you or other beings or creatures, believe in your own power to implant yourself and to seed your own life, to seed your own beliefs, to seed yourself and implant light into your body and implant what you know is true for you. And to be in that state of implanting yourself. Mm. so yeah amazing um I want to talk a little bit about tools and practices for like for the rebuilding your energetic architecture a little bit like aside from um you know clearing any entity attachments clearing programming clearing implants implanting yourself right it's you know so so what do you do right what do you do after you have removed yourself from a harmful practitioner relationship? Well, first of all, good for you for removing yourself from the harmful practitioner relationship. Like that in itself is, is a big, it's a big deal. And it can be, you know, on, on some level, maybe it means you have to like escape from a cult in the middle of the night, which we know people who have done that. Right. And, or maybe it's like just, you know, firing that teacher, or maybe it's like never speaking to them again, or maybe it's like writing emails or, you know, somehow getting out of whatever agreement you were in place or moving out of the temple that you were living in. And, and that in itself is a victory. So first of all, good on you for that. Second of all, you know, really like, like Kat was saying of like coming, you know, and I guess that's my word, like coming home to yourself and coming home to your spiritual practice and, 
I think people have to decide, and, and I'm putting words in people's mouth here, but this is basically what I was hearing uh, as an undercurrent of every single person that I talked with, um, is there was some decision point where they continued to opt into their spiritual practice, right? Every single person described some sort of experience of, I, you know, I, was basically questioning whether or not I wanted to continue to pursue this. Like, do I even still want to be a practitioner? Do I even still want to like have, you know, have a relationship with my guides? Do I want to walk away? And for some people, I think that was a, a deeper question than others, but I did hear that in every person that I talked with and I get it right. Because imagine you've just been extricated. You've just extricated yourself from, you know, a potentially very scary, very harmful situation. And you're now questioning and evaluating everything about all of your choices that brought you there. And if what brought you there, and this is where I, I see in, in these people that I talked with. And I also saw this in myself when I was in my abusive relationship. Now that was a romantic relationship. It wasn't um, it wasn't a spiritual practitioner abuse relationship, but I was still questioning all of the choices, all of the things that put me in that position of everything that I did that brought me to that place, including all the good things, including my involvement with, um, with a community I really cared about, including like all the freedom that I'd been exploring and all of the, um, you know, the travel that I'd been doing and going to Burning Man and all of these like really fun, beautiful things. I was questioning that because that's part of what contributed to the situation that I was in. And so for all these people that I'm talking with, there's almost this question of like, is my spiritual practice worth it? Or is it like, is it still a good thing? Or is it so tainted now by this experience that I can never do that? Or do I even want to? So being really real with yourself and honest with yourself and separating to whatever degree is helpful for you, but also recognizing that person that you were involved with or that temple or that organization or whatever it was, that cult is not your relationship with spirit. It's not. And giving yourself the space and the compassion and the gentleness to, in whatever way, reconnect, in whatever way feels safe to you, in whatever way feels supported to you, reconnecting to your to your spirit and knowing that your prayer is your own and your service and your whatever relationship and contract you have with spirit. Ultimately, that is a completely vertical connection that's between you and spirit and nobody else. But you need to you need to have that choice, and you need to have that evaluative process before you can move forward with repairing it, right? But it is like you you have to buy in, and your guides are going to respect whatever choice you make because we live on a, a free will planet, right? So as as a sovereign being, as as your free will, by you saying yes. I am, I'm in. Yes, even though I'm really scared. Yes, even though I'm recovering. Yes, even though I don't know what it looks like, I still want this connection. I still want to be connected to life and to God and to aliveness and all things and magic. Then from there, you can look at rebuilding and doing your practices and building, building your practice in a way that is really meaningful and powerful and ultimately much more true and yours rather than anybody else's. And you have permission to grieve. And that is going to take as long as it takes sometimes. And to 
give, give yourself permission to be messy and uncomfortable and to not know and to feel out of sorts and to let things go and know that they're probably going to be waiting for you on the other side of this experience. A lot of people fear that if, oh, if I stop meditating or if I stop doing this practice or if I stop going to ceremony, this is a really big one. If I stop going to ceremony, I'm going to lose something. I'm going to lose my spiritual practice, my connection, my ability. Like what I've seen is that sometimes there are breaks that are required as we're going through a healing process and a grieving process. And we sometimes let things go out of our lives. And when we come back to them, we have a different, more healthy, profound relationship with those things. So uh, don't be afraid that if you have to just decide not to go to ceremony, sometimes for a while, because you're not ready, it's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything about you and your, uh, your abilities or your path that you're off the path. Now you're officially off the path. No, you're not off the path. You're, you're having this experience right now and, and give it space that it needs. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Anything else we want to share with people? I did have, actually, um, I, I want to share one thing that I had somebody ask me as, as like an interview question in one of these conversations that I thought like, my God, I should be writing these down because these are so good. And I, I did not write any of them down, but I do remember one because this person asked me, how do you see the, the practitioner client relationship? Like, what does that look like to you? What is the architecture of that relationship? Because this person had with their teacher, um, had, had what sounds like a a much more like peer peer kind of relationship where the practitioner was like trying to be buddy, buddy kind of, and trying to, uh, you know, like, oh, it hurt my feelings. The practitioner said to this person, like, oh, it hurt my feelings so much that you are now leaving and that you had this experience and making it all about them. And, um, and that's part of what this person was dealing with and trying to confront with as they're extricating themselves from this experience of like, oh, but am I now the bad person because I'm like hurting the practitioner's feelings or like, you know, like just getting the waters very muddy. And so what I described to this person as um, I said, I see the practitioner client relationship as uh, I use the term like a personal hierarchical care relationship. Now, what that means, because this person was asking me like, oh, do you, um, are you okay? They were asking me in your relationships with your teachers, because they asked me like, what are your relationships like with your teachers? And I described, well, I have my my shaman mentor who I've been working with for 14 years at this point, and another teacher that I have been working with off and on very consistently since I think 2018 is when I started with her. And she's like, are you okay with them being like your teachers? Or do you wish there was more of an equal kind of footing? And I said, well, with my my teacher of 14 years, right? Like she is my mentor, my teacher. And also we know each other really well and we've been in each other's lives for a long time. So like we do have this like close friendship, but also she's my teacher. And, you know, I'm good with that. I like that she's my teacher and my mentor and that feels really safe and comfortable to me. 
And even though, of course, you know, there are things that she says to me where she feels really inspired by how I'm putting some work out in the world. And she's and she has said to me, oh, there are things I could learn from you. Right. And of course, we're always going to learn from our students. But looking at in in the relationships that we have as practitioner client relationships, it is a person what I call a personal hierarchical care relationship, meaning hierarchical, not in the practitioner is better than or greater than or whatever, but in that it is a one direction flow of care. It is a hierarchical flow of care, meaning the practitioner is offering energy and offering teachings to the client and not expecting the client to offer energy back other than whatever form of financial exchange or energy exchange they agree upon, right? And so as a hierarchical care, it's like the, I, as a practitioner, I'm not expecting my client to take care of my feelings or to care about my feelings really, other than just them caring about me as a person. It's inappropriate for then the practitioner to say, oh, you hurt my feelings because of this. Mm -hmm. And it's a personal relationship because like, I care about my clients deeply. It's like really deeply compassionate and, and loving and, you know, contrasting this with like an impersonal hierarchical care relationship might be like, you know, a prime minister or a governor where they're caring for populations of people that they don't know, or a personal non-hierarchical care relationship. And that would be like a friend or a partner, like me and Kat, we have a personal non-hierarchical care relationship where we love each other and we're best friends and we have a, an exchange of care flowing across going both directions. But for a client practitioner relationship, it is one direction. The practitioner is responsible in, in sending the care to the client and the client owes the practitioner nothing other than yeah. the fee. What's been agreed upon. And I think that this is also, this is something to really notice. And I don't think we've really spoken about it in exactly this way in any of other, our other episodes. So like notice this in your relationship with your practitioner. Um, and it can be a little bit, you know, a little bit muddy at times because of things like, well, you're in ceremony every, every other weekend or something, maybe with someone and you're breaking bread together and you're having a lot of conversation, you're spending a lot of time with this person. So there is that, like you're saying, that love that's there and there's mutual respect. But when a practitioner starts asking for what is outside of the agreement, so you'll see this, there was um, uh, some psychedelic, some of the, some top psychedelic uh, facilitators in the Bay Area, and it came out that they were having their clients babysit for them and do yard work for them and do all of this stuff, like uh, helping them in their, you know, home stuff without pay. And it was outside of their contract, but somehow was this expected thing that they were asking of. And they were also crossing other boundaries in uh, intimacy that uh, were, of course, unethical and harmful. So there's one thing that's like, oh, that's kind of, maybe that's a little messy to have somebody babysitting your kids and whatever. And maybe that might be okay in some situations, but um, it's a signal that there's other stuff going on. Oh, that's a place where there's a lack of boundaries. There's a lack of clarity. There's a lack of uh, this consistent awareness of what this care 
uh, thread is that you're speaking of. And that's a signal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like as a practitioner, I'm not going to go like blabbing to my clients about like, oh, this, you know, this unresolved trauma thing of my own, like that's, that's completely inappropriate. Right. Like you're triggering me. Oh, you're triggering my trauma. It's like, well, that's not your, that's not what we signed up here for. I'm not here to have you deal with your triggering my trauma. That's what I'm supposed to have mentors for, for myself. That's why if I am triggered by someone, I need to go to my therapist or my mentor or someone who's going to support me through that. And I am not going to bring my client into that situation because that is that is not an ethical situation. Yeah. So looking at like, what is the direction of care? Like what is, how is your practitioner showing up for you? What like things that, and this is really, you know, like what Kat said, it's a signal. If somebody is energetically sloppy, if a practitioner is energetically sloppy in ways that might seem very small, it means that they are capable of being sloppy in ways that are very big or, or potentially even like intentionally harmful in yeah, ways that are very big. Pay attention. And oftentimes um, people will say, you know, I knew, I knew they were sloppy. Like, and I've even had that experience where I've come to realize that people were more harmful than I had initially thought, but I had thought along the road, oh, well, I knew they were a bit narcissistic. I knew they were a bit sloppy. I knew they were a bit poor in their boundaries. I knew they were a bit reactive. I knew they had some sort of manipulative anger issues. You know, I kind of saw that and I knew it. And I just decided to see the benefit of their work, see the benefit of their light, see the benefit of their potential and invest myself in that. And so this is really common. And this is something that I think that we all do. And you know, we all, we're all humans. So we all have, you know, things that we're dealing with and practitioners are no exception to that. Uh, but that is that part of really trusting yourself. And so when you're going back into learning how to trust yourself, acknowledge that you saw those red flags and you knew your gut knew your heart knew your mind knew on some level that something was not quite right. And you you chose to pay attention to the other parts and 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 that's okay. It's part of the process of growing and learning and discovering about these things. So and cultivating discernment, really. Yeah. Anything else? No? Great. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another of these very fun episodes. Um, please, again, please like, comment, share, subscribe. You can find these on all of the platforms where you find podcasts. And please share this with anyone that you think needs to hear this conversation or any of our other amazing like 120-something episodes that we've got. Uh, please tune in for more. We've got really more amazing, more amazing things coming up. And if you are interested in working with one or both of us, you have options to do that. You can find my website at michellehawk.com or katherinebird.com. And uh, we actually have a project that we are launching together starting in May, 2023. 
uh, where we are offering a collective membership container of shamanic training. So if you are interested in coming in to learn from me and Kat, you may certainly do so. And we have pages on both of our sites, michellehawk.com and katherinebear.com, where you can check out the details for the, uh, the Temple of Sovereign Prayer membership that includes shamanic training and option to uh, partake in sacramental practice medicine work in a devotional ceremonial context and come join our community, our temple. I think we're pretty ethical and, <laughs> um, and we would love to see you there if that calls to you. Thanks everyone. Thanks.